Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't know. That was all right. I'll that do, was great. I'll do that one. Was great. I'll do one more real quick. You don't need me. Keep, you don't yeah, need me. Yeah. Bye. You, you just go for it. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. The best thing about hosting a podcast is when you don't got to do nothing. <laughs> Todd, what do you like best about hosting the podcast? Eh, just hanging out. Um, all right. Getting to talk to Elliot every now That's and right. then. That's right. Designers walk into a bar. A place where pop culture creatives discover design icons that make us tick. And we share a few cocktails in the process. Yep. You may consider them funny, bizarre, or annoying, but there's no question that they are the biggest fans of their home teams. No, we don't mean Little League parents. Today we're talking sports mascots. So grab your batting helmet that holds a couple of cold beers, a box of Cracker Jack, and your favorite foam finger. Let's all give three cheers as we belly up to the bar. Well, Elliot, here we are, back around the bar, man. Happy summer. That's when we're recording this. It will probably play a little bit later. Hopefully it'll play a little bit later. My time machine's broken, so I don't think it's going to play sooner. Yeah. <laughs> DeLorean's still in the shop, unfortunately. One of the great things about uh, summer is all of the activities that you go to. You know, those you go to like a park and you see characters dress. They do funny things. You can get your photo taken with them, get autographs. Oh, you mean an amusement park, right? Well, I was thinking more actually today about like a, a sports park, like a like a baseball park or something like that. Ah. Something like sports mascots, not the creepy mascots that you may see at a theme park, but creepy mascots you might see at a sports park. Well, that that clears it all up then. Okay, good, good, good. good. So you uh, you got any that might be uh, on the top of your head today? Yeah, actually, I do, and this is. Uh, um, I won't say a mascot. Um, it's actually a collection of mascots that I'm not sure are popular really outside of their hometown, hmm. except for a little bit of a, a legal incident uh, that happened that I will get into later in the episode. Interesting. This is not anything to do with the Seven Dwarfs, right? Uh, no. Okay, okay, good. I just thought that might not be who people would expect. That's interesting. Um, well, um, I've got, I've got a, uh, one that's really well known and has kind of a crazy backstory to it that uh, I don't think a lot of people are familiar with. And 
It happens. Well, I, I, I don't know if I want to give it away yet who mine is because uh, I might want you to try to guess, but I could give you one clue and you would get it. Oh, okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, you mentioned guessing. So how about we jump in with mine uh, first, just because it's a little bit oddball. Okay. And um, I, I'm not going to have you try to guess uh, the mascot because, or mascots in this case, because I think that might be... That might be a bit unfair, a bit challenging. Um, I'll admit it was, uh, for me, I, I knew of these guys loosely before doing the research. But what I will do is we'll see if you can guess the city. How about that? Okay, okay. And All then right. maybe from that you can try to guess the team. Is that fair? Okay. Philadelphia. <laughs> you don't- Okay. I, I'm just going right for the team. Yeah, you're going for the, the jugular. Okay. Yeah, I, right, I like right that. Right for the, the, the city with, with the craziest mascot. Now, I will admit, this was tough because you are spot on in terms of zeroing in on Philadelphia. Philly fanatic, gritty. Yeah. We know about both of these, right? But Right, right. But they're, again, they're nationally known. They're both... Very nonsensical, WTF, kind of like, what are these guys all about? And as you know, Gritty uh, (laughs) has been uh, involved with the law. You know, there was the lawsuit that he pushed the kid down (laughs) from behind. (laughs) Gritty fought the law and the law won. Actually, I think Gritty won. I think he was uh, arraigned but acquitted. Yeah, Yeah, I'm not sure if it was ever dramatized as a Law & Order episode. You know, I'm not sure if there was a Gritty uh, rip from the headlines episode. (laughs) We'll need to double check on that. Be. There, there yeah, should there be. should you know, uh, Dick Wolf. If you're listening, um, you can just send That's us your ideas, right? Yeah, here, just buddy. send us the residuals once it's made. But anyway, no, so not Philadelphia. Okay, this not is, Philadelphia. But Philly, of course, known for its cheesesteak. You and I have both been to Philadelphia, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. this is another city um, known regionally for you know certain types of foods, or actually. Um, known for a specific type of beverage. How about that? Oh, okay. Uh, uh, and give me a, just a general region. Mm. Okay. Uh, somewhere. Like, like East Coast, West Coast, yeah. Midwest, South. Yeah, yeah. Let's just say there's a collection of lakes near this particular city. Would it happen to be Minneapolis? No, it would not happen to be Minneapolis. Okay. No, right. but that's a great right. guess. Land of 10,000 okay. lakes. We've both been there, too. Yeah, yeah. And Thousand Island Dressing. Oh, that's in Canada, actually, I think. Um, I thought that was Hidden Valley. <laughs> Hidden Valley Ranch is in the south, buddy. Oh, okay. You know that. <laughs> uh, St. Louis. St. Louis. I don't know if it's ooh, near lakes. It's near ooh, body of water. That is so close, of course. Anheuser-Busch. So you're yeah, zero. Yeah. You're zeroing in on it because okay. it's beer. I will say okay, that. Beer. So you've, you've guessed uh, well, that. Well, yeah. Okay. So okay, it's not St. Louis. I'm going to take a, a a run and say it's not a, a big city like Chicago, but perhaps another one very well known as a beer capital of the U.S. Uh, Milwaukee. That's Wisconsin. right. Home of Schatz oh, Brewery. Yeah. And also yeah. home of the baseball team, the Milwaukee Brewers. Yes. Okay. So, being a Midwesterner, uh, I had to turn to a Midwestern city. So, hello, okay. Milwaukee. Hello, Milwaukee. Yes. Schlemiel, Schlemazel. <laughs> Hassan Pfeffer Incorporated. 
exactly right. So as it look that up, kids. <laughs> yeah, as it uh, we'll put a link to that in our uh, episode yeah, yeah, page. Yeah. Um, so as it turns out, the Brewers, in fact, have several mascots. Okay. Oh. Yeah, I mean, you know, why bother? Why so? Why stop at only one when you can have a bunch, right? right. right? So their main one is. Bernie Brewer. And this makes sense, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. he's sort of a Germanic type character who is, uh, you guessed it, a mustachioed beer brewer. And actually, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so he's going around spreading the good cheer. I'm not sure if he's yeah. actually giving away free beer at the ballpark because that's not a recipe for profitability. No, that's a liability suit. Yes, it is. Then, of course, there is the lesser known barrel man. Uh, mm-hmm. And Barrel Man kind of harkens back to our ad mascots a little bit. Um, okay. Yeah, so he is an anthropomorphic beer barrel carrying a bat. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm guessing that this name is sort of a pun in part on the barrel of a bat as well as, of mm-hmm. course, the, the keg that makes up uh, Barrel Man's body. Mm-hmm. Okay. But let's forget about those. Let's let's push uh, Bernie Brewer and Barrel Man off to the side because today, yeah. the group of mascots that we're highlighting are the famous racing sausages. Uh, say say what? <laughs> <laughs> apparently, they're not that famous. I'm not familiar with this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, apparently, you've never been to a Brewers game. So no, I haven't, and I don't know how. Well, I can see how sausages may have a role in uh, Milwaukee, but I don't know what they would have to do with baseball or anything like that. Did you just purposely use the word sausage and roll in the same sentence? I I did not, but it really just you know, it really played out just beautifully. <laughs> You're think. just that magically brilliant. I see. It's just magically brilliant. Okay, yeah. So the big question, right? How do sausages figure into baseball? These are not, I mean, you know, you have hot dogs at the ballpark, right, kind of loosely, but that's a far stretch from saying, hey, you know what we ought to do? Let's turn this into our mascot, especially when they're not the Milwaukee hot dogs or the Milwaukee sausages, <laughs> right. right? So uh, right. what what happened here? So uh, as we all know, baseball has always had wacky promotions. You go to especially minor league games, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff that goes on. You know, there's always gimmicks to... Uh, keep the crowd's attention, get fans on the field, and of course celebrate local sponsors, right? Mm -hmm. So the Brewers played at Milwaukee County Stadium from 1970 to 2000. And for movie buffs out there, here's a pop culture reference. Um, Growing up in Cleveland for me, I love the film Major League with Tom Berenger, Charlie Sheen. And when that was filmed, the exteriors were Municipal Stadium, which was at the time where the Indians played. But the stadium (laughs) was so dilapidated (laughs) on the inside, the movie crew said, "Uh uh-uh, this ain't happening here. And so they actually filmed the interior scenes in Milwaukee County Stadium. Um, So there's your little bit of trivia about that. So it has had its Hollywood moment, okay? So while the Brewers were playing there, in the early 90s, there was a local sausage company called Clements Sausage Company, and uh, they wanted to push the sausages that they were selling at the ballpark, right? You know, they wanted... Everybody always wants to push the sausage, man. I'll leave that alone. Okay, that's probably best. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. So they decided that a fun thing to do at the bottom of the sixth inning 
would be a scoreboard animation with three sausages racing across it, right? Mm-hmm. So you remember, uh, you know, 70s, 80s, you probably went to baseball games. And, and again, mm-hmm. uh, that, that scoreboard is also in Major League. They have, uh, you know, it's, of course, Indians animations. So uh, if anyone wants to see the scoreboard, just watch the first uh, Major League movie, and it's featured prominently in there during the scenes with games. Okay, so it all began with three characters representing three different types of sausages. There was brat, which of course was the bratwurst. I'm sure you could figure that mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, yeah. There's Polish sausage, so he was the kielbasa. Mm-hmm. And then there was Italian sausage. And I think, I guess his name is self-explanatory. There's no <laughs> other you know, name for Italian sausage, like he wasn't called Mario or something. So for a while there was this animation and it was pleasing to the fans. And then one fan actually had an idea. So in the fall of 1992, Milwaukee graphic designer, uh, Michael Dillon, so a guy named Michael Dillon of McDill Design, a local firm in, uh, in Milwaukee, presented an idea to Gabe Paul, who at the time was the VP of operations for the Brewers. And Dillon wanted to transform the race from a scoreboard animation to live action. So he actually wanted to see this play out on the field. So um, up until that point, the animation had always played out on the scoreboard. But on June 27th, 1993, as the sausages approached Milwaukee County Stadium on the scoreboard video, the left field door swung open, and much to the surprise of both the players and the fans, out came these larger-than-life mascots racing around the field. Mm-hmm. So they, the three made their way to home plate with a bratwurst, and Dylan. <laughs> Michael Dillon was in fact the bratwurst oh, wow. winning the first ever live race. This is sort of when, uh, I don't know, when fantasy meets reality, right? You yeah. Know, this guy just had this idea and boom, there it is, played out on the field. Yeah. You think it was rigged that, that Dillon won? I, I don't know. We Maybe we can find him and ask him. I guess that's a whole other podcast there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're always looking for the legal angle, Todd. I know. I know. I know the drama. Oh, but that's that's very cool. I'm sure the I'm sure the fans and the players were sort of blown away by that. Yeah, hundred percent. So for the remainder of that season, the 1993 season, the sausages raced live only at games with high attendance. You know, they weren't going to bust these guys out. Probably had to you know pay them and if not sausages, mm-hmm. actual money uh, to run mm-hmm. around the stadium. So what, there were a handful of games. Popular teams would swing through town, and so they would have the sausages make an appearance. So the live sausage race resumes on Sunday, May 29th, 1994, the day the Brewers retired Robin Yount's number 19 jersey. So baseball fans, Mm -hmm. I'm sure, certainly in Milwaukee, will remember when that happened. So after that day, they became a fixture at every home game since then. So up until current time, they've there's always been the sausage race. So the people inside the costumes are Brewers employees, but there have been some celebrities from time to time wearing the costumes, including former baseball and football players and the sportscaster Dan Patrick and his crew. So that would be pretty funny to see. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Very cool. So the race then expanded as time went on to include two more sausages. So there was Hot Dog, who was introduced in the mid-90s, and I think that only makes sense if anyone's ever been to a baseball game. 
Later, in 1996, chorizo was introduced, and he was introduced to celebrate Cerveceros Day, and and that's a Spanish word for beer maker, so beer maker's Mm, day. mm -hmm. So the Latino community uh, was being celebrated for their contributions to baseball, and he became a permanent member of the race in 2007, okay? Okay. Okay, so we have our five sausages, but wait, there's more. Right in the in the famous words of Ron Popeil, in 2014, a stray dog wandered into the park, and the team adopted <laughs> him and named him Hank after Hank Aaron. So, for baseball buffs, you know what does that have to do with Milwaukee? So, um, Hank Aaron originally played for the Milwaukee Braves before they moved to Boston, and then they moved to Atlanta. So, Hank the dog usually doesn't win the sausage race, but apparently he's very popular on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And then also there's a group called the Little Weenies. And so these are smaller versions of the costumes that kids dress up in. Um, and then they're on the field as well, hanging around with the, the I don't know, the big weenies. or the, I don't know, yeah. I guess the famous <laughs> sausages. I mean, sounds illegal, but it's, it's all in good fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, there are a couple of crazy stories. You know, we can't be satisfied just talking about something. There's always got to no. be these crazy stories. So... I feel like I've gone on long enough talking about these sausages. So, Todd, I want to have a guessing game with you. All right. And then maybe we can uh, spill the tea with one another's stories. How about that? Great. Well, let me get into a, a, a clue here. I'm going to give you the biggest one that you will probably guess. Uh, well, you'll narrow it down. You'll have a 50-50 chance. Uh, this is a university mascot for one of the universities I attended. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, so you got a, you got a fifty fifty chance. Hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, I know it's either going to be a pirate, a pirate, yeah, for East Carolina, uh, or right. uh, Syracuse, which is an orange, which is strange, though, like. ECU, I understand because it's yeah, kind of near the Outer the Banks. Coast, yeah, yeah, right. But Syracuse in New York State, Northern New York, not not a lot of citrus. Yeah, there. not not citrus groves, apples maybe, but not. Uh, yeah, um, I I don't know. Uh, okay, so I'll I'll, so I'll, you, I'll take a shot in the dark and just say the orange. How about that? You're okay. Bingo. Right, and you nailed it. That's exactly why I wanted to look into. Uh, the Syracuse orange because I couldn't really understand uh, what was so big about citrus in upstate New York. And so I did attend there. Um, but when I attended, the they did have this character named Otto the Orange, but they were still known as the Orange Men. And around campus uh, and, and in sort of the... Um, the the main street there in Syracuse, right uh, near campus, you saw s- some illustrations, some allusion to Native Americans too, which makes a lot more sense given the region of the country. It does, and it makes you feel a little icky, you know, mm-hmm. that they were called the Orange Men. But let me let me tell you a little bit about. I'm going to tell you the story a little bit in reverse. First of all, Otto the Orange is who I'm talking about. And to describe him, he literally is a fuzzy, round orange sphere, kind of androgynous. Nothing um, gender-wise unique about Otto. He wears a baseball cap. 
He's slightly evolved over the years, um, but what I was really captivated by, as I said, it's it's an orange ball, um, and I had growing up, you know, being a, a big basketball fan, I had heard of Syracuse and I had seen uh, the other mascots that they had that was a Native American uh, when they were known as the Orange Men. So. Obviously, that was changed, and for good reason. But here's a little bit of the history, which is really interesting. Uh, first, let me uh, let me give you a little bit of geography. Syracuse in upstate New York. It was named after the ancient city on the um, eastern coast of Sicily called Syracusa, and Syracusa was heavily influenced by both the Romans and the Greeks. It was a major trading port. So the founders of Syracuse, New York, looked at the rolling hills, looked at uh, the, the canals, the rivers, and, and thought, you know, classic Syracusa. Um, actually, they did want to name it Corinth, but then learned that there was another Corinth. So anyway, that's a different story. All right, so that's part one. Now, the Native American tribe that was very prominent in that area is called the Onondaga Nation. And they're one of five nations of the Iroquois Confederacy. And what was cool, the, the way Syracuse got started was the Onondaga Nation invited a group of Jesuit priests, some soldiers, and a French coureurs de bois, which literally means wood runner or fur trader to set up a mission uh, among the Iroquois in uh, upstate New York. So this kind of diverse group with the support and the foundation of the Onondaga Nation set up the first mission there. All right, so that lays the groundwork a little bit. Now let me talk about the university. So the university began in 1870 and they're widely known now as Syracuse Orange, right? But unfortunately, in the early days, their school colors were pea green and rose pink, which sounds like if you've eaten bad soup, something that might come back to, to visit you. Um, so those colors, thankfully, didn't last long. They were quickly changed. And in 1890, the colors and the, the mascot theme was chosen to be orange to represent the Dutch House of Orange, which were also major settlers of the upstate New York area. So now they're called Syracuse Orange in honor of the Dutch House of Orange. And so they thought after that, well, we need a mascot to go with this. So Elliot, question for you. Sure. With a nickname like Syracuse Orange and a city founded through the generosity of the Onondaga Native Americans. What would be a great mascot? Hmm. You're right. You're right. Orioles. Uh, obviously. <laughs> Orioles. <laughs> that would be great, actually. That lasted a bit. And then they changed to the Syracuse um, uh, Hilltoppers. Okay. Um, and... That was a little of, like, none of that was really ringing true. Now, that brings us up to a report in 1931 about the findings of the remains of a great chief. His name was Ogiketa Hashin Nagata. 
the so great let Japanese. Let me say that again. The great Japanese <laughs> Native American chief. Yeah, Okikera Horshin Nagata, the, and um, the chief's remains were found when they were removing the uh, an old women's gym. So with such hoopla, this inspired the school and the supporters to honor Mr. Okikera Horshin Nagata by adopting the translation of his name as their mascot. So then they became known as the Syracuse Saltine Warrior. And that's when the Nabisco money started pouring in, right? I think that would make sense, right? But Saltine Warrior? I mean, where? what is that? Right, right. Because um, Syracuse so, is near the Great Lakes, right? So Well, and... I didn't know this, but Syracuse is colloquially known as Salt City due to prosperous salt harvest. Mm. Um, and it's not from salt mines, it's from saltwater springs that they harvest. Really? So, huh. yeah, yeah. And they sold it. Like, uh, you know, it, it, it was huge, very prosperous. As a matter of fact, rumor has it that um, Syracuse salt is one of the reasons that the North won the Civil War because they were able to preserve uh, their foods better than the Southerners did. There was just such an abundance of Syracuse salt. I bet the uh, Syracuse salt would taste great on a Milwaukee brat. I, ooh, I bet that would. Okay, so if you're keeping score, Syracuse Athletics is built from Native Americans, a Dutch royal family, and salt. But there's more to the story, Elliot. It doesn't come out as easy as that. And I'm going to hold on to that little cliffhanger till I hear a little bit more about the famous sausages. Okay. All right. Yeah. I like it. A cliffhanger for the audience. Okay. It makes, makes total sense because I'm still not connecting the dots with how we get to a physical orange. <laughs> Todd, this might be our worst episode yet. Get it? Mm, yeah, Elliot, I get it. Now that we've lost all of our listeners, we may as well head to the bar to grab the next round. See you in a minute. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. While we have your attention, if you want to learn more about us and the podcast, there are a few ways to do it. Visit our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. All of that is spelled out. No numbers. Kind of a long URL, so do yourself a favor and bookmark it. Once you're there, you can find links to more information about the subjects in this episode 
our episode archive, and information about both of us. Wait, we do want people to visit, right? Well, oh, and look for us on social media. You can find those links on our website as well. And while we're at it, if you have a friend who you feel will dig on our rambling, tell him or her what we're up to. While we can't guarantee that they will remain your friend, we can guarantee that they will listen to at least 30 seconds of whatever episode you send them the link to. (laughs) That's being a little shameless. And speaking of being shameless, it wouldn't be a proper ask if we didn't mention that if you like what you hear, you can also make a donation via our website. We have a Nigerian prince handling all transactions for us. In fact, he told us to mention that we have stickers to mail to anyone who donates $10 or more. Are we done? We're done. We're done. Okay. So, remember how earlier I mentioned a little bit of legal trouble or, you know, a little bit of a fracas involving uh, the sausages? Okay. So this is known informally as the Randall Simon incident. All right. So let me lay this out for you. And, uh... P.S. There will be footage of this on our episode page, so you guys can witness it or relive it if you're in the uh, greater Milwaukee area, a baseball fan or both. So on July 9th, 2003, Randall Simon, who was then the first baseman of the Pittsburgh Pirates, decided to play a joke while sitting in the dugout between innings, right? So visiting teams would come to Milwaukee and over time they all became familiar with the sausage race because this would be run at the bottom of the sixth inning. So this was very well known. So he tapped Mandy Block, who is wearing the Italian sausage costume with a bat as the sausage, Mm -hmm. you know, the cluster ran by, the five sausages ran by in the race that we mentioned. He just kind of like loosely tapped her and he didn't hit her uh hit you know the top of the the sausage costume because it's much taller than six feet right but as you can imagine due to that the center of gravity is pretty wonky so it ended up (laughs) knocking her over and then she ended up kind of like bowling pins she ended up taking out the hot dog too So I just love hearing you say that she ended up taking out the hot dog. That's right. That's right. (laughs) So uh, then the Polish sausage helped the Italian sausage up and all the sausages finished the race. So that's teamwork. That's that's the spirit right there. Right. So man, that's the United Nations. Right. That is that is in 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 meat product form. Okay, so you're thinking, ah, you know, it's a prank. No harm, no foul. No big deal. Well, Simon was arrested, he was fined, and he was suspended by Major League Baseball for three games. He ended up later apologizing. Yeah, yeah, because it was this was considered to be assault. So, oh, wow. yeah. So what did Mandy Block want, right? You know, so she was the one who got knocked down, took out her teammates uh, in the race. Like, like what was, you know, what was, what was the end game here, right? Uh-huh. So she asked only that the offending bat the bat he used be autographed and given to her. So she wanted the actual bat that knocked her down (laughs) autographed. So uh, Simon, Randall Simon, actually went ahead and did it. So he he obliged. Um, You know, I think he was genuinely sorry. And then later that year, Mandy Block also received a complimentary trip to Curacao, which was where Simon was from, from the Curacao Mm -hmm. Tourism Board. So that's not a bad deal. I hope she also received some blue curacao because that's delicious. 
and I hope she receives sausages too. To eat with the blue curacao. Yeah. Well, you got to have something to eat on the plane on the ride down. That's right. So since the incident, T-shirts and other memorabilia have been sold with the slogan, Don't Whack Our Wiener. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And... I've got to buy one. Yeah, and this is the best part. Karma. Pittsburgh ended up losing the game two to one. Oh, (laughs) that is karma. That is. So later on... That's great. What happened to, to Simon aside from... It, it's obviously he, you know, was a joke that that went a little far, right? So he was later traded uh, from the Pirates to the Chicago Cubs, but that was apparently unrelated to the uh, sausage whacking incident. Um, <laughs> sausage gate. <laughs> he later returned to Milwaukee with the Cubs for a series against the Brewers. So this is actually great. So during the first game. Simon's teammates, so on the Cubs, you know, so they're in the visitor dugout. They playfully held him back as the sausages raced past, and manager Dusty Baker guarded the bat rack. So he was standing around the bat rack, like, like don't even think about it, pal. And then in the same game, Simon purchased Italian sausages for a randomly chosen section of the crowd. So I think this guy, you know, this is, this is a make good. So he was genuinely sorry, autographs a bat, gives it to the gal. He buys a whole section of the stadium sausages, sends her on a trip to Curacao, which there are far worse fates than that if, uh, you know, um, you know, you happen to get in an accident at the workplace. Um, Kind of like that time I pulled the chair out and you only realized that when you were falling to the ground. You remember that? I didn't go anywhere as nice as Carousel. Yeah, no, I do remember no, that. No, you, you just, fact, you yeah. just, <laughs> you just, if I remember, all you did was sort of, you just folded inside yourself a little bit. <laughs> I did. Yeah. I, I went, I went into a, a ball of shame <laughs> <for> falling <laughs> ass first on the ground. <laughs> so we'll, we'll talk about that story another time. Everybody. Okay. 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 Anyway, so that is. Uh, the main legal scandal. But wait, there's more. There's always got to be more. Um, you know, whenever sausage is involved, you always want more. Yeah. So the second scandal, the Italian goes missing. So again, this Ooh. isn't a Law & Order episode. Uh, this isn't uh, an episode of Monk or Psych. This is real life, people. Mm-hmm. So you need to take this seriously. All right. On February 27th, 2013, local news outlets reported the Italian sausage costume was missing. All right? So all the other ones Mm -hmm. are hanging around, but the Italian was gone. And according to police, eyewitnesses saw someone wearing the costume leaving the Milwaukee Curling Club in Cedarburg, which is a town about 20 miles north of Milwaukee, (laughs) on the evening of February 16th. So this is 2013. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So someone's wearing the costume. They leave. I'm trying to figure out how they would have fit into a car. Were they like riding in the back of a pickup truck? Like, did they catch a cab? Was there a sunroof involved, a a convertible? I'm trying to figure out how this happened because it's February. Like, it's not like this is summertime. So anyway, is the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. Yeah, maybe, maybe although, I, you know, I've maybe, seen that, yeah. and there's not a lot of headroom in there either. Anyway, okay, anyway, yeah, okay. Right. 
So he proceeds to visit several bars in the greater Milwaukee area and posed for photographs with the patrons before disappearing uh, again into the night. <laughs> so <laughs> rewards were offered for the costume safe return. You know, and I think this is one of those no questions asked sort of situations. Right, right. And the reward, you know, to answer your, your earlier question about did did she get sausages, you know, did... Uh, did Mandy Block get the sausages? Well, she may not have, but a perfect stranger could have gotten a year's supply of mustard and sauerkraut from local businesses. But these went unclaimed, like nobody fessed up and wanted to claim the prize. But there was a happy ending. Okay. So the costume was ultimately dropped off in a hurry at a Cedarburg bar (laughs) on February 28th by two unidentified men. So for 12 days, Mm -hmm. they had the costume and they were having fun doing God knows what with it, but uh, ultimately it was uh, delivered safely uh, to the Milwaukee Brewers. And, uh, you know, I feel like I only need to use this pun once with a sausage outfit, Todd, but uh, let's just say there was a happy ending. Oh, yeah. Okay, so the Italian sausage found its way back home. Yes, huh? back to the back to the, the the home of all the sausages. All right, good. And uh, as we are talking today, Elliot, can we say that all sausages are still accounted for? As far as I know, yes. Okay, fantastic. Okay, good. That is a happy ending. Okay. So where I last left you in talking about Syracuse Orange, do you remember the story I told you about finding the remains of the great chief Okikera Horshinanaga uh, on campus as they were digging up a women's gymnasium? I remember that vaguely. Actually, once we started talking about saltines, I I left for a few minutes to go get a snack. (laughs) Well, and uh, just as a reminder, uh, the great chief, uh, his name translated to Saltine Warrior. Oh, yes. Now I remember. And so that captivated the imagination of students, alumni, faculty. Finally, we've got this this really historical tie-in to our university on the campus of our university. And we can honor the... Um, Onondaga tribe, uh, Native Americans that helped us found Syracuse. There was just one tiny little problem with that. All right, what is it? That whole story was a hoax. It was completely made Really? Yes, and however, that didn't stop them from being known as the Saltine Warriors for almost 50 years, from 1931 to 1978 they were still known as the saltine warriors <laughs> wait when was this even after yeah when was this was a hoax. when was it discovered that this was a hoax it was in the 50s the 1950s and so for another so about halfway through that the 47 year run yeah for another two decades they hoax. just said well let's just ride this wave into the shore anyway that's right yeah that's right they're like hey it's uh, too popular everybody loves the saltine warrior except they didn't in 1978 alumni students and faculty protested the exploitation of native americans for sports mascots 
which, you know, there is a, a fair amount of that conversation going on now mm-hmm. in 2021. Mm-hmm. And this was 19, actually 1977 when they had those discussions and it changed in 1978. So they quickly pivoted from a saltine warrior to something that, you know, what could really represent upstate New York with all of that history and the House of Orange. You're right, Elliot. A gladiator. I was thinking a windmill. They were like, (laughs) a gladiator. And that was met with a huge thud. It didn't even last a year. And then they tried a troll, an orange troll. An orange troll. Yeah, before actually giving up and not having an official mascot for 17 years. Were they known as just the orange, sort of like the Stanford Cardinal, like the color? Yep, yep. They were just known as Syracuse Orange. Okay. And so there was a little bit of some Native American imagery still around, but it was pretty much being um, taken out. At that time, during that 17 years when they didn't have an official mascot, someone crafted this idea at a cheerleading camp of this round cartoonish ball, uh, orange ball. And so he started showing up and they were trying to pick out a name and they had a couple, Opie, uh, as in, you know, Opie Taylor from the Andy Griffith show, uh, and Otto. And um, the uh, cheerleaders, believing that Opie might remind people of the word dopey, they decided to go with the name Otto the Orange. Is this, this. Is this your Seven Dwarves reference from earlier? It, it might be. Yeah, Opie and Otto, and, and they're all orange. So, you know, Otto kind of became uh, this grassroots thing around campus, and students really fell in love and like i said for 17 years now we're going up into the 90s now the 1990s for 17 years they didn't have an official mascot until the chancellor appointed a student group to design a new one expecting to get something like a lion or a wolf okay you know something something that would fit with um the uh the strength and the character of orange the students said, oh, hell no, and said, <laughs> we are sticking with Otto. And in 1995, the chancellor made it official. Otto the Orange was the official mascot of the Syracuse Orange. I love it. Power to the people. Yeah. I mean, he's become really, really popular outside of just the, you know, the college. In 2016, Otto the Orange was named in the top 10 college football mascots by Sports Illustrated and the top mascot in the ACC. I've seen him in ESPN spots too, I think. Yeah, so the thing is, from the outside looking in, we are all like, really? You know, it's an orange, goofy-looking, fuzzy ball. It doesn't mean, you know, it's not a lion, it's not a bear, it's not a thing, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not a running sausage, you know, it's just, what is it? Well, what they have fallen in love with is that Otto is a kinder and gentler type of mascot. He's mischievous, he's, you know, he brings fun like mascots do, but he's no fighting something or something, he's no demon whatever, 
uh, and the fans just love that this character represents them. As a matter of fact, Nike wanted to redraw Otto. Nike were invited to come in uh, and do an athletic rebranding. And one of the first questions was, okay, we find this character pretty odd looking and we want to redo him for you. And the committee in Syracuse that was involved with the whole redesign project said, no, back off. Otto is not up for discussion. So it's a really a thing that kind of, it started as um, at a cheerleader camp. They made just a round orange costume and it started showing up in other places. And before long, it was the, the talk of the town, as it were. That's awesome. I love that story. <laughs> so, so there's a so there's some connections here, you know. Both of the mascots we talked about, I see, they really fed off of fans. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there were a couple sausages that started uh, as uh, animated on a scoreboard that became real, and then they grew to a family of sausages because obviously they were popular. And same thing uh, in the case of Syracuse Orange. They listened to the fans and the students and the faculty and, um, and moving away from uh, a Native American to represent the sports uh, and certainly not being called the Orange Men. And they stuck with something that was really popular. They gave people plenty of chances to say, we want to redo something different, but they love it. So I think that's really great. And both of our stories, it's about the fans. It's about people listening to the fans. Yeah, I think so. And uh, I also like that it's with both teams, they're not taking themselves overly seriously through the mascots. Right, right. I've watched uh, some Syracuse uh, games, football games, basketball games on TV. And when you're talking about the orange being mischievous, you're exactly right. It's really funny, for example, you'll watch a basketball game and all of a sudden there'll be this orange streak that sort of goes by across the top of the screen and Uh you realize it's uh the orange like running through the stands just causing general mayhem. (laughs) And uh, if you're willing to indulge me, I actually remember, and I'll try to find this link and make sure it's on our episode page, but there is a a hilarious uh, bowl game um, (laughs) footage or scene uh, involving the Syracuse Orange, and it involves John Gruden, uh, who is the, yeah, yeah, you know, he's the coach of the Raiders, Uh uh, Las Vegas Uh Raiders, and he was the color guy um, calling this Syracuse game. It might have been a bowl game of some sort. I don't remember off the top of my head. But basically, the Orange was doing something like he was either hassling Uh, the visiting team itself or visiting band. I believe it was the team because I think in college the band is usually in the stands. And he was on the sideline. And um, so what happened was one of the players, almost like the sausage incident actually, the player like bonked Mm -hmm. him on the head like with his fist or with his helmet Mm -hmm. or, you know, something like this. And the sausage pretends he's concussed and he kind of (laughs) starts wobbling and walking all around. And he staggers over to a garbage can that's on the sideline and pretends to be puking in it. <laughs> and, oh, and, yeah, and John yeah, Gruden, yeah. without missing a beat, says, ah, fresh squeezed orange juice. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was brilliant. Just on the spot comedy. I loved it. I laughed out loud. For a, I was crying when he said that. It was because he just said it off the cuff. It was so brilliant. Yeah. You know? That's amazing. Um, 
But then, uh, you know, a couple other things I was thinking about, Todd. I think you have an obsession with orange balls because we've talked about the 76 sign. Now we're talking we about uh, the Syracuse orange. So I'm starting to sense a through line in some of these picks for our different episodes. I'm consistent. That's You can just point to that. I'm just consistent. If there's an option to pick an orange ball, You're gonna I'll take do it. it. Okay. I'm going to do it. And you know why? It's because it reminds me of fresh squeezed citrus, like the kind that goes on a beautiful tiki drink, which we should be ordering more Ooh, of. Ooh, I like that. I like that. And maybe we'll get a side of sausages to go with our beverages. Ah, sounds awesome. Okay, until next All time. All right, let's go. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on... Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app. Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com.